Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, Brando on Ice, a radio that hurts and playing chicken with your best friend. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This is Vinyl Tap, believes every album tells a story. You can increase your listening satisfaction by learning it. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. So tonight, we're going to be talking about the 1981 Warner Bros. release Pirates by Ricky Lee Jones. It was her sophomore album released in between her self-titled debut and an EP, Girl at Her Volcano. Uh, interestingly enough, released or started recording the same, during the same month in which she received her, uh, her Grammy for Best New Artist. So, J.M., can you tell me why this, is, this particular album is an album worth talking about? The songs just seem to flow. And it, it, it seems like like on her first album, everything seemed a little bit the the song seemed very w well crafted and thought out. And this one, I just it almost seems like she's just channeling something when she's singing. She's getting into that kind of uh, Van Morrison type of, uh, um, I would say, songwriting and more, you know, where there's not necessarily a chorus and a verse. It's just much more um, just free flowing. Great horn arrangements uh, that she did herself. Again, I think that's a kind of a Van Morrison influence and great orchestral and string arrangements. I've always thought of this album as a cross between a Van Morrison album and a Tom Waits album. Um, and I think her vocals are much better on this, much stronger than they were on her first album. And it's just not quite as cutesy. Um, she seems to be to have grown up a lot between the first album and this album. Well, so let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Cause you, you talk about her vocals um, as someone who's not as well versed in Ricky Lee Jones as the two of you are, which is, uh, you know, maybe my fault. Uh, the thing, <laughs> the thing that's interesting to me about listening to her is her, her voice is almost like another instrument. And I don't know if that's because of a jazz background or what, I don't know a whole lot about her people who don't listen to her or don't do a deep dive into her, you know, give her the business about her, her vocals being sort of chopped off or slurred or, or whatever. But uh, I find it, I find it really interesting because they add a depth to the song, you know, in a way that's maybe a, a tip, your typical vocalist doesn't, you know, coming at this record, there are two people. There are those that understand it is a fantastic album. And there are those who are wrong and should <laughs> never have anyone ask their opinion about anything. Um, 
she is she's an acrobatic singer. Her voice is hopping all over the place, and she can do really, really strange things with it. And she can be exuberant and melancholy and strong and vulnerable all at the same time. It's remarkable what she can do. It's hard to understand because you look at her and she looks like she's just playing, not even paying attention to what she's doing. Yeah. She is communicating, which is, after all, what the main job of a singer is to communicate. And she is communicating that's why the fact that a lot of people don't understand their lyrics, that doesn't matter as much as it would for somebody else because of the expression of her voice. I, I, yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. She's telling a story, so it, it's interesting to know what she's talking about. But at the same time, it almost doesn't matter when you're listening to the music because because mm -hmm. of what her vo voice brings to brings to the songs. I, I couldn't agree more with you about that, Doug. Yeah. This, I, one of the ways I describe Ricky Lee Jones is uh, this is the first full album by a female we've talked about. And uh, I always get irritated when I say uh, it's national pretentious radio. And we've named Ricky Lee Jones the number 30 most important female singer, blah, blah. Uh, you know what? It doesn't matter that she's female. She can hold her own with any guy. And yeah. you only need to do that most important female deal. If she couldn't, the other thing that I, I, in my opinion, she is the most female, female singer ever. <laughs> there, she is 100% girl. Yeah. And it is, it amazes me. It uh, captures me watching that video of her singing Chucky's in love or really anything else. Uh, she is just hard not to pay attention to. Yeah. If you're yeah. especially if you're a guy, you consider what women are doing now to get a number one hit. She didn't even have to show her ankles in that video. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that, that people have, have there's this such a divide with her her vocals. I don't I mean I don't know much. I know I'm not a, a Grammy scholar or anything like that, but her debut album, uh, she had she was nominated for two songs for best vocal performance. Which is, I don't know how often that happens that two songs yeah. from one album are nominated. She didn't win either of them, but still, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, you know, we were talking about uh, you and how you said that um, you love singing along with the police, yeah. And and my my thinking is, I don't know if anyone can sing along with this album <laughs> or really any of her albums, not yeah. even Joni Mitchell. Yeah, it's kind of trying to sing like Van Morrison. You know, you just can't really do it. Um, it's, again, or trying to play guitar like, you know, trying to cover a Jimi Hendrix song. You just can't really do it because so much of the playing on a Jimi Hendrix album is Jimi Hendrix. Even though the songs are great, you just can't top them. And I feel the same way about Ricky Lee Jones um, and the same way about Van Morrison. So um, I want to ask you guys the question before we get into talking about the songs per se. Um, this this album and maybe just her sort of debut in general seems to me um, to be part of a certain time period in in rock um, or popular music 
where radio stations and people were willing to give the benefit of the doubt to to people who, as you said earlier, Jan, didn't do your normal sort of song construction. Not yeah. only that, their songs are very narrative, in a, kind of in a Springsteen way or a Dire Straits way. I, I'd almost call it observational, you know, observational mm-hmm. songwriting. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's not really the case now. I mean, there's people who do that. They don't get airplay. Um, but, I mean, she was she was huge. You know, I looked up the other the other big songs when, when Chucky and Chucky's and Love got up to number four. The other big songs that year were My Sharona, Bad Girls by Donna Summer, La Freak by Chick. Chic. Chic. I don't know. I'm sorry. Chic. <laughs> I'm not. This is hey, when I should, almost threw my radio away during this time. They're in the Rock and Roll <laughs> Hall of Fame. You should know how to pronounce their name. Chic. <laughs> let's, let's dig into uh, let's dig into the album. So, all right. Let, let me say something about this album. I'm, I know Jerry will have something to add. Yep. The, the context of this album is extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. This comes after her breakup with Tom Waits. And the fact that those two bumped into each other and started a romance before she had recorded anything uh, is pretty remarkable because they have so much in common. Mm -hmm. Um, But they, by all accounts, were incredibly in love and uh, spending all their time together with another guy, by the way, Tom White's good buddy, Chuck E. Wiseman. (laughs) <laughs> who is the guy that song was written about. Uh-huh. She heard Tom Waits on the phone call with them, and she overheard Chucky's in Love, and that turned into a song. Um, <laughs> I think Chucky Wiseman is less than happy that that's been baggage he carries for the rest of his <laughs> life. But Tom Waits and Ricky Lee Jones broke up, and I've got a theory on that. <clears throat> I think... Ricky Lee Jones was too much like what Tom Waits was pretending to be uh, yeah. in his persona and his songs. And yeah. I think it spooked. He's a little middle-class boy. And yeah. here comes this girl that ran away from home and she was young and used to sleep under the Hollywood sign and has a heroin habit that she's yeah. getting yeah. him involved with. And I think he decided that maybe he didn't want to be <laughs> that guy after all i I think i think you're probably right about that it's a little too real because i think uh the the woman he was with afterwards kept kept him away from her and uh probably for good obviously for good reasons because she she was uh there it was on its way to be one of the one of the uh historic destructive relationships i think yeah um yeah at first i was thinking how wonderful that these two didn't get together and make each other happy for the rest of their lives. We would have lost so much good music. <laughs> but maybe if they had gotten together, they would have made each other so miserable that yeah. it would have been even better music. Uh, let's start. Let's uh, start with the first one. We belong together. Um, I'm going to quote Doug. What Doug usually says in these podcasts. Uh, this sounds like a hit to me. This song. I don't know how this was was not a hit. I think it's a beautiful song. 
Um, I love the piano playing on it. Her, the way that she says that line, we belong together, so earnest, so clear. Um, and then just the, the way that she's banging on the piano. this I, I, it's just a fantastic song i love the guitar playing um love the drums how they come in i believe that's steve gad yeah the great steve gad on drums it's it's a great tune i you know and chucky in love is is in love she has that little part where she slowed down and talks mm -hmm. and she was really surprised that that could become a hit and i wonder if it was contagious because None of these songs, there's only one song on this album that has a steady tempo. All the others are up and fast. They slow down. Yeah. And a lot of them have two or three parts, kind of like a Beatles song where they yeah. always uh, heard that John Lennon would write one part and Paul would write another part and they would put them together. Yeah. And that's that's how this album sounds. With the Frequently, there's two melodies per song. Yeah, and it's also on this song in particular, and she does this on some of the other songs. She'll sing, sing the same melody, but she'll actually be putting in different chords uh, on the song. Well, and she and she obvi uh, not obviously, but she came at this with a different angle too. She's—I uh, read an interview where she said that uh, she was worried about being considered kind of this poppy, happy-go-lucky girl because of the hit "Chucky's in Love." And so she wanted to go a different direction, which you could say this album's definitely not <laughs> a happy-go-lucky yeah. album. No, and, and this first song is one of the Tom Waits uh, yeah. boo-hoo songs. Yeah. It's a fantastic song, though. But And again, I don't, you know, you listen to it, and it sounds like something that just would have been just gobbled up by, by the populists in yeah. 1981. I, um, you put it to 2-4 uh, time. And uh, don't slow down and put a couple of more baby babies. <laughs> <laughs> so the next song we got is Living It Up. It's a fun song that goes fast and slows down and does all kind of crazy things. J.M. talked about Springsteen earlier. You think about that first album, Springsteen, where he's got all his all yeah. the different characters. Uh, you pick up Dynamite, I'll go get Little Gun. All Everybody has a nickname, and it's all about going out and having fun. And this is another one like, like that. has one of my favorite lines in all of music. Eddie's got one crazy eye that turns him into a cartoon when a pretty girl comes by. Yeah. <laughs> I can relate to that so perfectly. <laughs> you know, um, and this this song's about uh, living it living it up. That's about Waits and uh, Chucky Weissman again, and their time when they were all living together, having a ball all the time. So, so the one, I guess, the one downside you could say about uh, what you said earlier about it doesn't matter about whether or not you can understand the lyrics is that she's. She is a fantastic songwriter, lyrics-wise, lyrically mm -hmm. speaking. Her her lyric, I mean, they're again, there there's like many many stories or movies, you know, this kind of mm -hmm. observational thing that she does so well. 
is a perfect and, example. And some of, of them are are made up completely. You know, yeah. That she she st- gets started. Um, she is one of those songwriters that doesn't try to. Uh, she doesn't try to make it so everything can be explained. I love the use of synthesizers when synthesizers aren't like like the, the overwhelming instrument. And I like it with traditional instruments. And she does it on this on this song. I think it's the first one where she uses synthesizers and uh, strings, some pizzicata strings. And I just always thought that she did that really well. Joni Mitchell's done stuff like that before. Even Springsteen's done it a few times. But it's just a very interesting blend of of sounds even the and the guitar playing's got that kind of swelling sound as well so it's just a bunch of swelling instruments going against so, that piano so jam you talked about synthesizers who's uh who's playing synthesize synthesizers <laughs> on this album <laughs> well the main guy is a guy named michael bodicker and if you're a um michael jackson fan he was all over those Michael Jackson albums uh, of the 80s, including Thriller. Randy Newman plays synthesizers. No, no, Randy Randy Newman's not on this one. Donald Fagan. No, Don, Donald Fagan. That's right. Yeah. yeah, Randy Newman's on the first one. Yeah, Donald Fagan. The, but he's only plays on one song, I think. Oh, is that true? Uh, okay. Yeah, well, it's worth mentioning because uh, he's kind of famous. Uh, Tony, can you tell the kids uh, who he is? <laughs> uh, who Donald Fagan is? Yeah. He was. Oh God, he was with. Um, Steely Dan. Dan. Dan, thank you. And she has a she has an interesting relationship because doesn't didn't she play with someone else from Steely Dan as well? Yeah, um, Flying Walter Cowboys Egan. had the same producer. She had their producer. Yeah, Walter Egan was the producer. Yeah. And they they had a little disagreement because she pointed something out about Steely Dan that I always have thought was true. <laughs> she what goes, was that? He just wants to kill every living thing. <laughs> She's talking about. The sort of the organic nature of music, where there might be a guy a little slow here, or there might be an extra noise here. Yeah. And she was saying he wanted complete perfection and wanted it to sound like yeah. there was nothing alive making the music, <laughs> which um, I think is is true. And uh, yeah. you know, but I was while Jam was talking, I was thinking about this album. To me, is crystal clear. You can hear all the instruments, and it's yeah. the kind of album that you really want to make sure you're listening to it on a fantastic stereo mm-hmm. because it'll pay off. And it, uh, you know, it actually was used uh, to to uh, show off uh, high end hi fi systems. Is that song. right? Yeah, that doesn't surprise me one surprise me at one all bit because it's. It's bright like that. It would mm-hmm. it would be great for that purpose. Yeah, I heard some. I, I read someone say that they thought it was uh, it was uh, messed up by slick '80s production, and I thought this guy doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. Yeah, know like, you know, <laughs> it is slick, and usually I don't like that. But yeah. um, um, Russ Tittleman and Lenny Warnaker are the uh, producers on this, and they had worked. There was kind of two uh, house produce two house producers for warner brothers at this time 
the one was the the team of Russ Tittleman and Larry Warnaker, and then there was the Ted Templeman side. And Ted Templeman did all of the um, Van Morrison albums during you know most of them during the seventies, and then he went on to produce uh, Van Halen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He and, just got Russ, stuck in the bees, huh? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and then he got that would yeah, be horrible. I know. From Van Morrison to Van Halen. Uh, and then Russ Tittleman and Lenny Warnaker, they they were kind of a little bit more um they, they liked more production. They liked the cleaner sound, the uh liked working with the studio more and uh, really liked kind of big orchestra type sound. They I believe I think it's Lenny Warnaker that's was one of them's really good friends with Randy Newman. They were childhood friends growing up. So uh, the next song, Jam, I'd like you to talk about this. I'm assuming you're going to say your uh, catch catch uh, <laughs> phrase with this uh, particular song. I remember the first time I heard this song. And skeletons, I, by the way. Skeletons. She was pregnant in me. Now they're on their way. Yes, Skeletons. Um, This is a, you talk about a song that's not very cheery. (laughs) Um, Well, it starts off kind of like, you know, it reminds me of a farewell to arms. Like you're reading farewell to arms and everything's great until the very end, like the last three pages. And And then what do you do at the last? Yeah, you start (laughs) (laughs) boo-hooing. The arrangements are beautiful. Um, I believe this was one of the songs they recorded live in the studio with the strings and everything at the same time. So it's just a, a very heartfelt song. And it's about a, two, a couple trying to uh, better their lives and they're having a baby and they're heading out and then tragedy strikes. It's uh, her response to a true story about a couple that was on its way to the hospital for their first child, for the delivery of their first child. And the driver, the, the husband, matched the identification of someone in an armed robbery. He was pulled over. He was going for his wallet, and they thought he was going for a gun. And uh, he died. Huh. It is a sad, sad song, and she does it so well. It's a good thing Woody and Dutch come next because (laughs) (laughs) if it left you there, it would really be a downer. So, yeah, uh, yeah, Doug, uh, Woody and Dutch on the slow train to Peking is uh, the complete opposite of Skeletons. her getting mad at um i guess she's getting mad at the rhythm and blues uh 
not following the tradition. She's got, she's talking about the fifties and stacks and sun records. Mm. And, uh, both of those are, uh, Memphis. Yeah. And then we have the line, uh, I think Cleveland forgot. I think Miss Memphis forgot where they're coming from. The, the guitar part on this is, uh, really cool. I, I've just got a nice little, uh, riff there and that, so this song was actually written by the, the guitar player or part of it was written by the guitar player. I think that opening riff he came up with uh, a guy named David Kalish. Yeah, that's how I'd say it. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's got a neat stereo effect, too. I think he's playing the same guitar part, but on two different channels. So it sounds really and it's just a clean, clean guitar sound. And the bass playing is uh Unbelievable. That guy. Yeah, the, the whole the album has great bass playing. Yeah, but it stands out in that song. It's a fun. They drew themselves a bebop midnight map. You say Man. you got a map to the next joint. <laughs> well, yeah. and this was this was the big, uh, if you want to call it that, the big hit on this album. Got up to number 31 on the charts. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and we were talking earlier before we started that this album peaked at number five, which is... Uh, pretty you know pretty remarkable um yeah. her previous album the self-titled debut is number four so didn't get quite that high but it you know number five is nothing to sneeze at <laughs> no and without a without a standout hit that's right yeah all right so next up we've got the title track It's a song that's a that's a lot like um, "We Belong Together," in that it has a lot of piano. It slows down and speeds up. Um, Mm -hmm. This one's called "Pirates," and it's about people who sell marijuana in her neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) They were called the pirates. They were, yep. It's imaginative and fun. And her voice gets to sail. I mean, uh, it's so pretty. It, her relationship yeah. with men is very interesting. If you notice on this album, all of the friends she talks about are men. There's mm-hmm. there's no woman on this album mentioned other than her that I can think of. Natalie Wood yeah. makes an appearance, but she may be talking about herself. Well, it, um, it's, it's not surprising, though, Doug, when you were talking earlier about you know the the type of uh, type of person she was, and maybe possibly scaring Tom Waits off. Um, I, I like this song. We were talking about Donald Fagan earlier. Yeah, he he's one of the synthesizer players on this, which again I think this is a really good use of synthesizers. Um, and then the horn arrangements are are fantastic. And there, there's an interesting uh, item in this in this song. She says. Somewhere I heard far away, you answered me. You answered me. So I'm holding on to your rainbow sleeves. Oh, yeah. Uh, rainbow sleeves is the name of a song uh, by Tom Waits that he gave her. 
And I guess oh. that eventually showed up in, in on another album. The 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 one after this, the EP. Yeah, is that right? Did she cover yeah. that? No. Yeah. yeah. So the next song I think is the is the most uh, transparently obvious about Tom Waits. I yeah. Mean, there's mo- more yeah. song. Uh, you know, there's other songs that are about him, but this one's the I think the most, uh, like I said, obvious about him. This is definitely it's a lucky guy. He's a lucky guy. To me, this is this may be. I don't want to say it's my. Well, maybe I'll go ahead and say it. This is probably my least favorite song on the album. It, I like the lyrics, but it just it's the one that to me is the least interesting. Um, unlike the other songs on this, it this doesn't really change tempos. It doesn't. It's just a straight straight song. Um, still, it's a great song, but it's just it's probably my least favorite one on the album. It's the one that requires you to spend the least time uh, noodling what's going on and trying to figure out what her, her references are. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty straightforward. Straightforward. Yeah. She's been left by this guy, and she imagines him just going about his business, having a wonderful time. Well, yeah. she's she's sitting there staring out the window at ten o'clock in the morning, drinking coffee, wondering what he's doing and if she'll ever stop being sad. Yeah, that's my interpretation. It does, not, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing in this song says that she's drinking coffee or gives us the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's obvious what it is. Um, and, and there's a little bit of truth in it. I guess that um, his uh, next relationship kept him away from her, um, under the guise of not wanting him to, you know, dip back into any sort of drug abuse, but I think there's obviously other things going on there too. Okay. Well, it's a little bit of a relief compared to so many of the songs women sing about um, how they broke up and they're sad, but then they start doing the thing where they talk about how strong they are. And I don't need, I think <laughs> about that share, that silly share song, uh, believe <laughs> I don't need you anymore. I don't need you. And you're sitting there listening going, who are you trying to convince? <laughs> still up a tree about him. And by the way, you're 60 something years old and you're getting your heart broken. You've already dated half the men in America and we're supposed to believe this is tragic. Well, yeah, you, I mean, it's a valid point that this song is uh, her being able to be, uh, you know, uh, show everyone how vulnerable she is yeah, with this. I lost. This is yeah. me yeah. losing. And that, that's her power, man. Yeah, you're she, right. She has that female power. She can grab a guy by the heart. If she wanted to, she could have all three of us mowing her yard or painting her house. She could get us to do anything with that voice and with that helplessness. Yeah. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. <clears throat> all right, are we at the Western Slopes? Yeah, tra- traces of the Western Slopes. I 
I listened to this today, this when I was a, I guess I was in high school when I discovered this album. This was the one that I would skip most of the time. Uh, but as I got older, I grew to really like it. Um, I just think the instrumentation is really, really interesting. The vocal gymnastics, again, are really good. This was written by Sal Bernard, Bernardi. Yeah, it's new Bernardi. Sal Bernardi. Bernard, Sal Bernardi. Um, and, and her. They wrote it together. It's the they wrote only it together. one on that album, I believe, that's not written by just her. No, no uh, it was Woody, Woody Oh, there's the Woody and Dutch. Dutch. Yeah. So Sal it became her boyfriend after she and Tom Waits split up. And they have, I think he's appeared on just about every Ricky Lee Jones album since then. In fact, when I saw Ricky Lee Jones, I don't know how many years ago, he was he was with her. It was just the two of them. He was playing guitar and accordion and um, she was playing the piano and guitar. But anyway, um, I just liked it. He does. He's a really good singer, really good um, harmonizer, really good. And he does great vocal arrangements. So he does the vocal arrangements on this song that I just think are makes it a really interesting song. It's long. Uh, it can get a little tedious, I guess. But again, the drumming is fantastic. Um, and the instrumentation, again, is really just interesting. It's another one that keeps changing tempos through the whole song. Yeah. I wonder how he felt about, hey, honey, I got a new song about my ex-boyfriend and how sad I am that he's gone. Can <laughs> play on it? <laughs> Okay, so to wrap up this album, we've got The Returns. Okay, this is the other song on the album that was recorded live with the orchestra. And, you know, it's a nice send-off. It's real short. The orchestra comes in by itself at first, and it's just a... Uh, and then she comes in kind of playing this, this tinkling piano thing at the at the beginning, and there's really not a lot of lyrics to it. Um, again, there's some really good use of synthesizers on it. Um, not sure how they did it all in the studio at the time, but... Um, Nice send off. Nice send off. That's another great line. Who'll turn your memories back into dreams again? Yeah. She can really turn a phrase. Um, this song was recorded, I think, at the same time that the live songs in on the EP Curlator of Volcano uh, was recorded. Tom Waits did something like this too. You can do that. That's one of the things I kind of want to point out. That it Tom Waits was doing these kind of orchestral piano pieces um, and he was doing them live in the studio. And I think she got that, that kind of bug to do that as well. I think she does rainbow sleeves live with an orchestra um, on the EP. You know, Tom Waits was kind of done with that by the, after I guess uh, blue Valentine's or maybe he, you know, uh, what's the one on the nickel. It's got mm -hmm. on the nickel. He's got yeah. it in Ruby's arms. And... Yeah, yeah. And so he got, but they both kind of stopped doing that after, or the, by the time the 70s were over. 
Um, and they both kind of went a different direction. Ricky Lee Jones seemed to be getting more into the synthesizer, uh, synthesizer-driven songs, and Tom Waits seemed to have just started doing his clanging and bonging. Lots of drums. And, uh, yeah, like the chimpanzee with the two gas cans. <laughs> 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 the, uh, yeah, you know, and she's a little bit like. Uh, a singer from the 30s or 40s in my mind that would be singing the American book, the American standards. And uh, there is something about her that reminds me a little bit of uh, Billie Holiday. Yeah. Well, yeah, she, I think she agrees with you, Doug. She said that in an interview I read where she always fashioned herself as someone who was a, a singer from that time period. She felt like she was about, you know, she'd rather she felt like she was more comfortable singing stuff of the Sinatra era, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and she could do. I could see her being a, you know, a, a torch singer, a torch song yeah, singer. Definitely, the, definitely. Yeah. Um, the the thing that would keep her from ever having a big. You remember Linda Ronstadt did the album with Nelson Riddle. Yeah. I guess she did too, and it was a big high seller. The way Ricky Lee Jones sings, I don't think would ever hmm. get her that. People would be upset and say, quit doing that with my song. <laughs> People yeah. that don't appreciate her voice. Um, well, I, I, I want to thank you guys. Um, you know, if, if this is any nudge towards the audience listening to this, I, I knew very little, if nothing, about Ricky Lee Jones before we agreed to do this. And... Uh, this this was this was unlike some other stuff that we've done that I've had to do that on. This is an album that I will go back to and listen to. <laughs> this was a this was really um, I'm glad I I'm glad we did this and I'm glad I got to learn about this album in the process. Great, that's what we aim to do. Yeah, and I now for anyone fix your wife. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. Uh, Doug, since uh, you've been laying down on the job on this episode and I've had to do all the work, I'm going to ask you tonight, do you have anything for us? The kids. Oh, no. For I the kids. Prepared. Oh, wait. I just thought of something. <laughs> there is something that has burdened my heart for uh, the entire length of this podcast, and that is the fact that we have not talked about Little Steven's Underground Garage, and what a great station that is. Uh, That is um, available. It's on the Internet. I listen to it on Sirius XM Radio. Channel Uh, 21. Do you know? What is it? 1021? Channel 21. Oh, Channel 21. It is. I, I feel confident in saying that is the best rock and roll station in the history of the world they play a lot of hits and they play a lot of singles if, for those of you who don't know lil steven is steve van zandt he was in the e street band with bruce springsteen he helped write and record uh about half of Southside johnny and the asbury jukes albums he was involved in every single one of their good albums he was also on the sopranos he played was it servio thanks so. yes yeah, how you say it He's the Still. concierge, I think, or the guy that runs the Bada Bing. He's he's produced a large number of albums, and he has the best radio 
show in the world, and he's the best DJ in the world. He tells great stories, and he has other DJs who tell great stories about each song. So I'm just going to highly recommend that anyone who really likes rock and roll music should be spending some time listening to that station. Yeah, I mean, you, you made a you made a comment about him not playing albums that they're songs, but the deep dive that they do in terms of the history, all the disc jockeys on that station and what they know about, they're not just playing the songs. Those guys know so much stuff. Um, and unlike us, <laughs> you know, they're not doing research to talk about it. They were there. That's right. Yeah. These are these are musicians that played with the guys they're talking about and. Uh, They've, Andrew uh, Luke, Oldham, Peter Asher, um, yeah, they, they, Mighty Manfred, yeah, Mighty Manfred. We probably shouldn't have done that because y'all are gonna hear what actual music experts sound like, and then you'll come back here and <laughs> wonder why you've been listening to us. <laughs> All right, that's it for tonight's show. Next week we'll be looking at a band just out of Boston trying to make ends meet. And had a monster hit in 1976 with their debut, Boston. Be sure and look us up on Spotify or your favorite podcast platforms such as iHeartRadio or even Amazon. Leave us a review. Tell us what you think. We're also on Facebook. Uh, you can leave us a review there as well. And we're on Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And you can always email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Be sure and leave us a note and let us know what albums you'd like for us to take a look at in an upcoming episode. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And remember... Get yourself a radio that hurts. Brasse. Brasse. I said Brasse, didn't I? You did. You Brasse. said Brasse. 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 Listen. Do we have the correct pronunciation? Shut up. Brasse. 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 You do it, Jam. <laughs> Brassai. Brassai. When are we going to talk about that? I just think it's a cool cover. Well, does anyone remember how to say that guy's name? <laughs> nope. Brassai. 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 So are you, still, are you still recording, JM? Yeah. So I, 
I'm, I'm gonna. I don't know if this is a good segue or not, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, so, uh, so Doug, you're talking about Fellini, and uh, I don't know why it made me think about the album cover for this as sort of a Fellini-esque image on the cover. Black and white movie. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, what can you tell us about the album cover? Well, it was taken uh, by a guy named. Trying to look at his name here. <laughs> Just to get, he goes by the the single the the moniker Bressai. And he's I'm a French sure Hungarian that took pictures of uh, Paris at night during, I guess, the interwar years. None of us are really uh, art critics. <laughs> <laughs> But it does capture the mood of the album, I think. It Absolutely. Does. It's perfect. Yep. Yeah.